0: lock the gates. All right, let's do this. How are you what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fucking How's it going? It's Mark Marin. This is my show. Welcome to it. You're listening to WTF the podcast. First of all, I'm doing more Trippyney dates. More uh, more dates at the Trippyney House at the Steve Allen Theater here in Los Angeles. I am doing the uh, October 28th, November 11th, and November 18th. Jeff Tate will be opening for me uh, tomorrow. Uh, Please come if you'd like to come. They've been fun shows, and it's $8, and it benefits the theater. You don't know what's going to happen, but I'm sure I'll make myself uncomfortable initially. Yesterday was football day. I did not partake in that. I have no problem any longer with anybody who enjoys football. Knock yourself out. Just don't fucking judge me. You know, in, in uh, you know, like I tweeted, I said, look, I hope you enjoy football. I don't know how to. And some guys like uh, you hipsters, none of you like football. I haven't liked football my whole life. Never call myself a hipster. I'm a grown-ass man. And I don't like sports. It's not a matter of me judging you any longer, but it was just an honest tweet, and that guy's a dick. You see, the thing about it is, it's all very predictable. People label people. People put people in a box. What did I do today? I played guitar, ate some food went and uh, traded in some records that's some man shit i don't care what you say watching football all day well i hope your little teamy won so your life can have purpose for a few days i know i've got three new loop records and a few cheap trick records i know that happened there ain't nothing there's nothing uh weak about that and i built my cats a fucking fountain That's right, fucker. I got down on my hands and knees and built my cats a fountain because I was told that these fountains uh, kind of uh, inspire the cat to drink a bit more. That has not been the case yet. I got a pretty high end one. I'm not saying it was thousands of dollars. Obviously, it was under a hundred dollars, obviously, but it was a porcelain cat fountain. The idea is the running water makes it very compelling to them. They like to stick their little cat noses into the running water to feel connected to something that is genetically wired in them. Perhaps they're by the bank of a river or a a creek or somewhere out in the wild. The wild that's inside of their genetic loop in their little coil that's in their every cell that says running water. That means we're outdoors and we're hunting. I just hunted down that half a can of wet food and killed it. And now I'm going to stick my face in the running water of this creek that's in this nice bowl that's plugged into the wall. But so far, nothing has happened other than Monkey's been nervous about it. He's he's looked at it a couple of times. Doesn't make sense to him. Uh, perhaps they know more than we think. Perhaps they're thinking in their deeply wild genetic uh, history, their lineage, that goes all the way back to the first cat s- sitting by a river. Maybe he's thinking like, what is this asshole thinking he's doing? Does he think we think this is a, a river what a fucking idiot. This is a nice bowl with a fountain in it. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to drink out of it. And I know this isn't a big deal, but it is. You know, I, I guess that uh, maybe uh, football guys don't talk about this stuff. Football guys just drink freely and have no shame about sitting on the couch watching football with their fat, hanging over their two tight pants with their team jerseys on. I'm not judging. I'm just saying their lines have been drawn between what a man is to some people, you know the definitions of it i I, I without tools built a cat fountain yesterday on Sunday and again, I'm gonna say I bought uh, three cheap trick albums and three loop albums and I uh, did a little work. I plugged some things in, switched out some extension chords, did a little of that played some very seriously serious guitar on uh on a gibson three thirty five yeah. A Gibson 335. That's a fucking man's guitar. Built in Memphis, Tennessee. I laid out some licks on a Gibson 335, slightly distorted, powerful. While you sat and watched other men play with a ball, I was making real blues music with a man's instrument plugged into a tube amplifier. You want to have a cockfight? All right, what'd you do? Had some chips. Had a few brews. Yelled at a television. Was upset or elated because your team won. I sent distorted blues licks into the ether. My dick was so big in my living room that it annoyed my neighbors. Now watch my cat. I watch my cat look confused at a fountain. No, this is slightly upset by it because I want him to like it. So today on the show, a man named Bill Sheft is on. I don't know if I'd expect a lot of you uh, to know who he is, but he is a comedian and he's a writer for Letterman and uh, he's written several books, uh, one of which is out now. Uh, His latest novel, Shrink Thyself, uh, came out a little earlier this year. You can get that wherever you get books. He's had a couple other books, I believe, out there. Uh, Also, I wanted to mention that if you want to hear other episodes about what it's like to work on the David Letterman show, you can get the app. Upgrade to that premium. There's episode 28 with Eddie Brill, who uh, does the warm-up for Letterman for years, did some of the comedy booking, no longer does that. Episode 228 with Merrill Marco, who was there at the beginning of Letterman and dated Letterman, and episode 270 with Chris Elliott, the amazingly funny Chris Elliott, who was on the first version of the Letterman show as a recurring guest and writer. Those are all available at the, the the WTF app. You can get the free app and upgrade if you want to learn more about Letterman. But Sheft has been writing for the Letterman For like 15 years or more, I'm not sure I'll talk to him about that. But outside of writing for Letterman, a couple of things. He was one of the first guys I ever really saw do comedy live. He had a a disposition. He used to have a little cigar, he had an attitude, you know. And now, you know, I'll talk to him about that and I'll talk to him about where he got that disposition. But but what he also is known for is uh, years ago, and uh, you comic nerds, you comedy nerds, some of you, a certain type of comedy nerd, know about this. Years ago, Bill Hicks, uh, the last appearance he did on Letterman before he passed away, was uh, cut out. Bill Hicks did a Letterman set, and it was cut from the final broadcast. And they aired a set that Bill Sheff did uh, earlier that night. On a different show, even. Now, I never heard the true story. I know that David Letterman made an apology to Bill Hicks' mother publicly, and I believe aired the set in its entirety, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't know what happened. We all assumed that he had said something to piss somebody off, whether it was about abortion or about, uh, I can't remember. I had heard that it was uh, censorship because of of uh, advertisers. But but all I know is Bill Sheft was there. They used his set, so that kind of hung on him. He's the guy that replaced Hicks the night he got cut out of the Letterman show. Now I'm gonna ask Bill Sheft about it, and I'm gonna get his angle on it. Uh and you guys are gonna do with it what you will. But uh he was there and, and uh he he's gonna tell me what, what happened from where he was sitting. He was the guy that replaced Hicks. So so if you're a deep comedy nerd or you're Bill Hicks fan or you A conspiracy theorist who's got an angle on that now you'll have another angle i guess is what i'm saying is that okay good i went to see birdman it's a very compelling flick i think it's smarter than i even think it is Uh, There were moments uh, after the movie where I was like, I don't know, was that uh, over the top or was that actually a smart movie? And then you sort of start thinking about it deeper. You're like, holy shit, some of those actors had to act in three different ways and three different levels. And it was interesting because some of it seemed a little broad and some of the characters seemed a little, um, you know, heavy handed. But then you're starting to think like, well, what was the real play? It all took place in a theater. So what's a play? What isn't a play? What kind of tricks are they playing with the cinema? And, uh, And oddly, the only one that isn't, um, you know, heavy handed in a way is Michael Keaton, who plays this, uh, this old actor who was known for this, uh, superhero he played uh, in blockbuster movies. And it's a very sort of claustrophobically and creatively shot all within the confines of a theater, give or take a couple of exteriors at a bar and on the street. It dealt with, uh, theater versus celebrity versus in kids versus old people. And it dealt with a lot of stuff. But he, I mean, Edward Norton's always fucking solid and Michael Keaton was brilliant. And, uh, You know, Zach Galifianakis was in it. He was good. Everyone was good. It was an interesting movie. It was an interesting big movie. I don't know if I love the ending, you know, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. But Keaton was great. And you guys know me. I am uh, somewhat of a loner. I've had a lot of people on this show. I've had Michael Keaton on this show, and it was a great conversation. But do I talk to Michael Keaton? No. Do I talk to anybody, really, who's been on this show in a regular way? Not really, except for the ones that I'm closest to. You know, close friends. But uh, but you know I, I I I took a chance and uh, I had an old email address for Michael Keaton. I just texted, "Hey man, fucking great job in the movie. Hope you're well, Mark." I did that. I'm not expecting to hear back. I just I just thought. But you know, I always feel weird about that. Like, that, is he going to get that and go like, "Ugh, oh, this is that kid from that podcast." Maybe I shouldn't have given him my email. Did I've never emailed him before except the one time when we were going to do the podcast. See this is why. This is why I don't uh, this is why I don't I don't email. This is why I'm not giving John Hamm a call right now. This is why I me and I just <sighs> So let's talk to Bill Sheft here. This is a great conversation. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, as of late. I had a great time talking to this guy. Bill Sheft It's weird because when uh, you know I, I, you know I got the opportunity to, to take a look at the book, and they they said Bill Sheft and he, he wanted to do the show, and uh, you hold there's a uh, you have there's a, a part of my brain you have a, a solid place in my brain.
1: Do you know why? I I think I do. Really? Well, because well I think I was one of the first people you saw do stand up. That's Is- right. Is there any way that you were involved or
0: MC that that event that HBO did Catch a Rising Star live Camp, on campus? No, campus
1: comedy. Campus comedy at Tufts University. That was where the show was, where where they taped. Right, and I didn't MC. Well, I uh, well I did a lot of um, before they got the show. They had uh, all these uh, talent shows at all these colleges. Right, I auditioned. And, okay, and where where did you audition? Did you audition in the basement somewhere? Did you audition? Oh no,
0: I auditioned first in a in at a in a college uh, classroom. With, 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 That's the, right. Right, right. Okay. and then we did a, a showcase at the Comedy Connection in Boston. Okay, but I I believe you didn't emcee the night. You know, you weren't
1: on camera, I guess, but you didn't. No, I I did the warm up for Joe Piscopo, and there were two tapings at at Tufts. And there's two things that I remember about that night is that my parents were there, and it was a huge. Uh, uh, oh, Piscopo hosted, hosted. Piscopo hosted, and you did. And, and, and there were two tapings. So I was warming up, and right before uh, I went on, I overheard my father say to a complete stranger. If I got to go to another fucking stand-up show, that's it. <laughs> and now I got to go on, and I did, and and I did really well in the warm-up, and I did uh, uh, so well that the producers came up to me and said, uh, "Joe is going to do his own warm-up for the next tape." Really? Because I had no idea that he didn't have an act. Right. I had, uh, you know, I you just, just had the characters, or right? Whatever. So, right. Um, so that's what I remember. But I probably, yeah. But I emceed a lot of those auditions, and I remember the one in the classroom and um i didn't remember there being uh, maybe that was it you know i yeah, i didn't remember it and that's wasn't I show. met leary really cuz i met leary at the auditions at emerson and he was like a graduate teacher uh-huh and that's when i met him for the first time
0: yeah because the, the thing i remember was that uh you know you uh you had this whole stick in terms of like you were already an old man or something. You had a cigar. That's about right. You had a, yeah. a suit. Like you know, you seemed to be very put together, and you, you sort of you know, cut a, a an impression. Like I I mean right. you you like you made an impression. Yeah, so that's eighty three,
1: so I was all of twenty six.
0: Yeah, I mean you had this right. whole thing, you're very confident and you had your cigar and you're right. swaggering was, yeah. around. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, yeah. You got me the year I was confident. You got me that. <laughs> you got me and uh and, and I would yeah, because I'd been a sports writer and then I became a comic and I still went with the same kind of outfit with the tie down and the cigar. And whenever Jerry Seinfeld would see me at Catch a Rising Star, he would say, Still trying to do that five forty five the greenwich thing aren't you,
0: <laughs> but, you had yeah. it, but it was your thing right? right that was my thing but where'd you come from why was your father at that show at tufts did you come well, from I new england from boston oh, i grew up do? in
1: boston i grew up in yeah i grew up in in, in, in new- newton newton and beverly uh-huh and uh and my father uh my father was a, a businessman and my mother was a stay-at-home narcissist and yeah. uh <laughs> you know that's what happened yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that, my father was a doctor and narcissist and my mother was a stay-at-home narcissist yeah that's very funny. Now, we, so you we got auditioned little...
1: for that show? Oh, that's that's wow!
0: Before I even did stand up, I was in college, and I talked to my buddy on the 500th episode. My buddy Steve Brill, we put an act together because we saw the signs around the school. We went and put this act together. It was mostly sketches. It wasn't really stand up. There was no real team dynamic. We didn't have any structure around like the way we interacted, but we did it right. And uh, and you know, I had, I had the stand up bug early on, and I wanted to do stand up, and I went down to catch, and I've seen you, uh, I saw you a couple other times, and you're always like, that's that guy, the guy with the <laughs> cigar from the thing. The
1: guy that's much older than he actually is, yeah. Yeah, but you were just like, yeah, it's so that much. That was the whole, yeah, that was, the, I guess that was my shtick, I guess it was. It just was, I mean, that was my sort of outfit since birth, you know, the coat and tie and the tie down. And no, I, I liked think, it, it was, yeah. it was classic, it, you know. Yeah. There there are were, were people that, I guess they would call it branding now. But you know who was on, Camp, two things about Campus Comedy, one of the people that was on that show was Jeff Dunham. Yeah. Actually made it into... When he it, only had one puppet? When he only had one puppet. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. when he only had, and, and and it's the only show in the history of HBO that they never repeated. I think, really? I don't think they ever showed it more than once or twice. What, it was that bad. It was just. It was kind of nothing. It was. It wasn't like the young comedian
0: special. It was a big idea. I think. I it think w- they. They thought maybe they could franchise it. Like you know, this is a never-ending. You know, we could just go audition kids all day long.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. And it. it, it at the end of the day, and I think that one of the. Uh, you know, and one of the people on the campus comedy show was a woman that was in my class at Harvard, so she was at least 27 or 28. What was wait, 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 let me try and... I think, I better, Andrea Michaels is right.
0: How hilarious is that?
1: Is that great? How the fuck can I remember that? I don't know. Wow, that's unbelievable. Let's go for 1,000 now. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I remember because she was
0: attractive, and she had this odd act, and she did slightly provocative stuff. Right. She was... She She had had one joke. I'm trying to remember now, because I remember there was one joke she did I thought was really funny. It was kind of sexual. I remember
1: one joke of hers where she, um, uh, that her breasts are different size, and so when she wears her uh, University of Minnesota t-shirt, it looks like Minnesota. Yeah, right, right. You know, that was right. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, so you grew up in Newton... Right. And you went to Harvard? Yes, I did. Well, what, what, what was your life like? What'd your dad do? My dad was uh, my dad was in the shoe business for, Shoes. Yeah, for a while, and then he was in the health and beauty aids business. So he's a, uh, uh, what he had, uh, what was it, not a salesman, but a what? No, he was, you know, a guy. It, it was one of those things where said, Dad, what are we supposed to put down where it says occupation? Just put executive. <laughs> it was one of those <laughs> yeah. <guys. laughs> too hard to explain yeah just yeah put exa- and um and like i said you know my mom you know a, a brilliant woman was a great uh golfer and a stay-at-home narcissist and they had six kids six that i was the fifth of six a large jewish family never enough guilt to go around How was that po- i don't know and and uh and my uh my parents were were more, uh, much more interested in having the children rather than, than raising, raising them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but six—that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, if you're not Orthodox. No, <laughs> it, it doesn't. Yeah, it, and it makes uh, it makes no sense. And you know, uh, uh, liberal Jews. I used to do a line in my act that you know we believed in the Ten Commandments, but we believed you could pick five. And, you know, <laughs> that's all that funny. Covered, yeah.
0: But I notice it, like on your uh, wiki page, or even in uh, maybe it's on your.
1: Uh, on your uh, your website, yeah. billchef you don't list comic. I was a comic for thirteen years. Yeah, well, I, I think well, I do on in the bio. I say I was a comic for thirteen years, and um, and I'm uh. I, I'm very proud that I was a comic I still feel like I'm uh, a, a comic in many in many ways and I was lucky enough to be a comic at the best time to be a comic when the boom happened and you could really make a living I mean and you know my wife Adrienne Tulsha, I mean we were out on the road 30 weeks a year and yeah. Right right how's she doing she's doing great thank you she was uh, she uh, last year was a tough year but she's great now she's oh uh, good yeah she's great I and, remember her yeah well that was well, so are you the only show business kid in your family yes would they all they all end up doing uh well my uh my oldest brother is a professor my of what uh, he uh, of uh of uh journalism and literature down at north carolina central university and my uh oldest sister's an occupational therapist and other sister's a teacher my other sister is a uh, a doctor she's a clinical wow. psychiatrist and my uh my younger brother went to harvard after me and he's uh he's he's the guy if you're a police officer in massachusetts if you want to pass the the sergeant's exam you take his class he uh-huh. uh he lectures cops and uh much funnier than i am and he's got the uh because he's got the shtick. i just had the words uh my brother always had the shtick. but uh, my funny family well
0: know. yeah it sounds like that real liberal jews everyone yeah.
1: went into reasonable
0: helpful occupations. Absolutely. yeah
1: absolutely not and, a businessman in the bunch no and, and my because my mother was believed that you you did service and now i don't know how telling jokes at a Chinese restaurant is doing service. It but,
0: is, but uh, so you you are a sports fan, which I am not. Yeah, I was a sports writer for a while, and that's where I started. So when so you go so your parents are supportive. You got into Harvard. Did your dad go to Harvard? No, my dad went to Yale. Right. My mom went to Harvard. So you had some pedigree there.
1: A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And I that went helps. To, I did the whole deal. I went to Deerfield Academy, which is an all boys. Prep school. Where's and, that one New that's in New Hampshire? Deerfield, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, it's under, right by Springfield. So
0: it's not Exeter. It's not the other one, St. Whatever. St. Paul. St.
1: Paul's. My brother went to St. Paul's. My <laughs> older brother went to Andover. And, um, and my older brother was. Uh, Is an Exeter one? Yeah. Ex. The, the two. The, the 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 big three are Andover, Exeter, and and Deerfield. Those mm-hmm. are the those are the big three. And then you got the other places, right. Uh, Those but, are the ones that are sort of the uh, right. uh, preparing you for your place in the aristocracy. Right. Now, my, when <laughs> when when George Bush was was not elected the first time in mm-hmm. two thousand,
0: the, sec- oh, the right, first, right, uh, second uh, one,
1: the first, yeah. I said to my older brother, hey, how about your old uh, stickball commissioner is now president of the United States? He said, what are you talking about? I said, "George, George Bush. He was the stickball commissioner at Andover. When you were a freshman, he was a senior. He said, no, he said, you're wrong. He said, the stickball commissioner when I was a freshman was this asshole from Texas. Oh, yeah, right, right, same guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's weirder about that story uh, that he didn't remember or that there's a, a stickball commissioner. Yeah, well, that the was... Fuck the fuck is a stickball commissioner? Well, stay
1: head of stickball league at Andover for all the, you know, all the... It was this all, is what the elite is doing in this, prep school? Back then in the 60s... Taking was, a,
0: a game that is notorious for coming from the streets out of lack of a field... Right. ...and appropriating it for their, now for their waspy yeah, yeah, needs? The, right,
1: it's, yeah, it's this sort of irony, look at us, slumming... Yeah. It's yeah, that whole. Yeah, we don't have that, the
0: equipment, right? What did they not play it on one of the two fields at the school? Did they right. play it
1: in the parking lot? I they uh uh you know we played it and you would play it sort of. We we played it and we used sort of this transformer for the backstop. It you know, you would play it on some weird configuration or you know. Yeah, so okay, so you go to Harvard, you wait in English? I, no, I majored in Latin because I thought the church was gonna come back. And um <laughs> come on. And, and uh You you were just trying to pass. No, I swear I could because I you know, I majored in classics. I thought that, you know, I was gonna be uh, I don't know, a Latin teacher or a pharmacist or whatever you're gonna be with a Latin and, and, degree. Yeah. And and then um, did it help you at all? Did you read well, the classics? It's the, it's, oh, absolutely! I read everything, and it's the best training for a writer.
0: Really? I believe because it
1: teaches you the value of a word. Uh huh. And you you're reading, you know, I believe the greatest literature in the earliest form. I learned so much. But Latin's like the root of most language. Correct. And I I majored in that, and I, uh, you know, I, there's only one thing you can do is be a teacher. And I came from a family of teachers. I think well, maybe I'll do that. Your mother that, was a teacher? No, no. My mother my mother uh my mother did a lot of volunteer work in sure. politics and sure. you know, worked in the Jack Kennedy congressional campaign. Oh yeah. And uh I said, Well, what was what was that like? He had the filthiest apartment I've ever seen. You know, really? We <laughs> That's do what this? we get. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh but there's a lot of my uh my mom in this book and also in it's the new her book. she yeah, she's um She's ninety-one, but I have taken the liberty of writing her eulogy
0: (laughs) in the book. In the book, and shrink thyself. Yeah,
1: and uh, and there's a lot of stuff about uh, about her. She's a tremendous character. She once, I once said to her, "Mom, how about a little unconditional love?" And she said to me, "I'll show you unconditional love when you've earned it," which Mm. is phenomenal. (laughs) You really can't do any better than that. And another, I don't have that. The other one I have in the book was my my younger brother came home one night and he said listen i've decided i'm gonna uh, run for office one day yeah and my mother said why are you gonna do that so you can win and run an employment agency and that was it he never that was the end of it
0: so she had gotten that cynical about politics at some point
1: yes yes yeah, yeah that that uh yeah i think so but i mean mm. she was still uh interested and active but she was very yeah. that That. not take long. yeah
0: you know, once you work within it, right?
1: So, yeah, I majored. So, I majored in lamp but I also wrote for the for the paper at Harvard, the Harvard Crimson. I was a sports writer, and I always loved sports. My uncle was a very famous sports writer. My uncle was, was Herbert Warren Wind, the the dean of American golf writers. He uh, coined the phrase "Amen Corner" at the Masters. He wrote for the New Yorker for years, and he was a big influence. Do on you know me. him? Oh my God, yeah, yeah. We were. I mean, he was. I, he's the most influential man in my life. And uh, he's the reason I'm a writer as much as anything else. So I wanted to become a sports writer. And so out of college, I worked in Albany, New York, for two years. And I don't know if you've been to Albany, but it's not some of God's best work. And, yeah. Uh, well, a, sport, was, a sports was, yeah. writer for two years. And then I quit the job. But, and I came to New York, ostensibly, to become a freelance sports writer. But I couldn't make any money. And I had done stand-up. Between the ages of 18 and 22, I'd done stand-up like twice a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I was one of those guys. When I was 18, we stole a faculty member's car at Deerfield, and I went out to a bar in Northampton. I, and I always thought it was kind of something I could do as a hobby. And then I realized that I couldn't make it, wasn't making any money. And I said, I, I guess I should sort of pursue this. And I auditioned at Catch a Rising Star in December of 1980, and I had and the woman that was running auditions, she thought I was funny, but she thought I was a little arrogant. She wasn't wrong, and she wouldn't pass me. It took me six months to pass audition. That's there. A, that, that's that's,
0: that's uh, still a small amount of time, but, relatively but speaking. But for
1: me, being arrogant, it was very long. Who and the fuck I, do you think you are? Right. Yeah. But meanwhile, I got even with her because I married her, and that was she Adrian. Was, oh, Adrian was was Adrian. Adrian. Yeah, yeah, she was. She used to run audition night.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. So, before and,
1: before Louis. Right before, before Lewis, before I mean, uh, yeah, back then the MCs ran the show. They put people on. Was Belzer gone already? Belzer had just left.
0: All right, let's go back for one second. I, you know, about sports writing, you know, and in, and in relative to to stand up in some in some way. In, in my mind, you know, when you tell me not being a sports guy and certainly not being a golf guy that your uncle was this uh, this well respected golf writer, yeah, and I and I'm thinking to myself, what does it take? To make golf exciting, you know, what do you learn as a sports writer? I mean, I know obviously if you're into sports, you know, you live it, you breathe it. I learned that from a, a friend of mine. He, you know, it's how you feel alive. It's a, it's something that
1: gets right. you out of yourself. And, and mm-hmm. but what it, what are some of the tenets? Okay, well, that's easy to answer with golf because golf is something that people are passionate about, whether they are good at it or not, because it's something you can play your whole life. You play. Uh, I play. I don't play. I I don't play very much. And I look like a guy who doesn't play very much. I used to play a lot more. And, uh, you know, my mother was a wonderful golfer. My father was a good golfer. My brother's a good golfer. I just don't play enough. And um, tell me the joy of golfing, Bill. Tell uh, me why. I mean, you know, because I know people who love golf,
0: like Ray Romano loves golf. There's people. You know, John
1: Mendoza loves yeah, golf.
0: Kirk, uh, my friend Kirk. It's just sort of like, what the hell is it? I know, you know, you're outside, you walk.
1: Yeah, you're outside. It's the, well, it's the the pursuit of par. The fact that, um, you know, it, it it plays to your most grandiose expectations about what you are a, as an athlete and on 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 a given day, you know, you and Tiger Woods
0: mm-hmm.
1: could be in a twosome together mm-hmm. at a par three. And uh, Tiger could hit his drive way over the green and you could hockey it up to about 20 feet short of the green and get down in two. And it might take Tiger three to get down. And in that moment, you're better than him. <laughs> so I think that that's the thing that people go. That, 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 that people. So you can be better than the best on a good day in a moment uh-huh. in a moment uh-huh. and larry david loves i mean i mean i saw larry david have the round of his life he shot 38 on the backside at riviera and it was like a scene you know with larry you know <laughs> you know how when people are out at dinner and you know straight people yeah. you know non-comics they're out at dinner and something silly will happen and people will say oh this is just like an episode of seinfeld yeah. and the difference is when you're with larry yeah things happen, you know, you never know when, like, a, a little plot line and Curb Your Enthusiasm may break out. Yeah. And I was with Larry that day, and he started, and all of a sudden, this sort of gallery forms behind him of these gardeners and these caddies. He's just on. And, and you know, this is... Hey, you know Mr. David, yeah. you know, they're going crazy um, because he was doing so well. Because yeah, because they were doing, doing, and and you know maybe they thought he was just on a run. He and was he, having, yeah, and he never. I mean, he'll tell you he never uh, uh, played better than that uh, afternoon. But people, um, people love it because uh, I think people love it because it's it's one of those things. It's so it's such a simple game, and it's so aggravating, and you're just constantly pursuing. Being as good as you as you think you are, and then also you can play it all year round. you can play it everywhere. every courses are different. you can travel to play I mean, it yeah because because a tennis court is a tennis court is a tennis court right. either it's and a basketball or it's not. court yeah. is a basketball court and a baseball you know but but a, every golf course is different. so that's the thing that's that's fascinating then you
0: get to Scotland,
1: yeah, right. right. and yeah. that's the right. and that's what's I think that and so. Uh, people get up. involved in the equipment. Mm-hmm. They get involved in the history. They get involved in golf course art. And my uncle was incredibly generous because he would share his knowledge every piece that he wrote, and he would write these 10,000 word essays for the New Yorkers, and every piece that he wrote, and he's also, my uncle is a character in my first novel, The Ringer, yeah. and uh, every piece that he wrote was a history lesson, was an architecture lesson, it was a golf lesson, because uh, he, w- he was not like a lot of writers who kept their real knowledge to themselves.
0: Well, so, th- so what it does then, and what makes him great, is it elevated it to an ultra almost almost cultural criticism. Correct. So, like anything, like a great essay or a cultural critic, you know, some of, some of the sports writers, you know, have elevated it to that, to where it becomes about morality, mortality, Correct. history.
1: Right. And, yeah. and, and my uncle, um, he covered every Masters from, from uh, 1943 to uh, 1988. And then he was sick in 1988. He had prostate. So, he couldn't cover the 1989 Masters. So, he gets out of the hospital, and, and I say, You want to come over and watch it with yeah. me? And this is like, you know, this is like having Virgil read you the Aeneid. So he's sitting and he knows every blade of grass at Augusta. And it's one of those things where a guy hits and he says, that's going to come up to a little oak on the left. And there it is. And and there's two things that he that he hated about the masters. Uh, He hated the 17th hole and he hates Vern Lundquist. He hated the old. CBS sports announcer who's still working, Vern Lundquist. So the first uh, d- Saturday, we're watching, and they announce the guys. This is my favorite story about him. And and we're watching TV, and we're they are announcing. Uh, okay, let's go down and see the course. Of, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, Ben Wright at uh, 15. I'm Gary McCord at 16, and I'm Vern Lundquist at 17. And my uncle says that's a good spot for you. Vern <laughs> screams at the TV. <laughs> But I miss him. He's a tremendous guy. It's so, just crazy smart. So writing about golf,
0: then you know, they, it, it has this long history, you know, and it has a, a lot of uh, it's. It's an old game, and it, right? So you can really sort of open it up to a lot of stuff. But writing about basketball, baseball, football, right? It, hockey, there's, yeah. There's, as a sports writer, you got to write about everything, right? Correct.
1: Yeah and he wrote about everything. He wrote, wrote great pieces about hockey and tennis. He's in the tennis Hall of Fame. He's in the golf Hall of Fame. He's a brilliant sports writer, but golf was his game. So
0: those are big shoes to fill that you decided oh, to Oh, I follow. never
1: was no, I was never going to be him.
0: But I know, but you yeah. but he's the one who inspired you. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And he was very he was very encouraging, but nobody was happier when I got the job on, on the Letterman Show than he was because he always uh, uh, wanted for me to be able to write jokes for somebody else. He always loved that idea. He said, it would be great if you could, you know, if if Bob Hope was still alive, and he was then. If He would say, so if that Bob was, a- Hope was still alive, it would be great if you could right. write for him. And Bob Hope was going <laughs> to live for alive. another 20 years. You could have written for
0: Bob Hope. Right. But I think that's interesting because he saw it uh, from an occupational point of view. He didn't necessarily think that being a comic was a a, a smart journey, but to be a writer... You know, to be the guy that works, but he yeah.
1: understood that being a comic, that it had that it had a lot to do with writing, that it had a lot to do with uh, editing in your head, that it had a lot to do with wordplay. But also to be so, successful, it had a lot to do with luck. Right. Well, <laughs> they're we, always afraid for you for your security. Right. But the the thing is, is is now with some critical distance, I now figured out the the thing that uh, the comics that make it have that of course oh, that Jesus. i never please, had please Here's tell the us thing here it is if we just adrian and i just figured this out oh my
0: god this it's, is a, this is
1: years of study okay there's there's one thing a lot of them have balls yeah well, okay that's balls you gotta have balls but you have to have complete and utter commitment in the material it's the commitment you know that's the thing about hicks when they talk about hicks you know his stuff was great but the commitment to the material, yeah, that's the thing. You know, Martin Short, you know, he comes on and there's no, to me, there's no better Letterman guest than Martin Short. And and great he panel does, guest. Yeah, and he does those silly songs mm-hmm. and they're just nonsense. But the commitment, he acts like this is the greatest song ever written and I'm the greatest singer ever. But, is, I, but I think, don't you think, uh, but, but he's, you know, he's a uh, song and dance man. R- right but 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 it is but they are they are for you know they are but comedy songs. right but it's the but he right commits.
0: well that's hilarious yeah right. but also like a long, in stand-up it has to be commitment uh behind a point of view
1: absolutely
0: because if you're just a joke teller you're going to struggle a little bit no matter how committed you are. right to well that joke was
1: my well to me that was now we're talking 20 you know 25 years later my problem was always hey you know i wrote it i think it's well written here it is right not but, good enough. That's well, not well, a no, performance. But, 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 That's but, not a performance.
0: Right, but it becomes who is this guy? I get he's got a jack and a cigar. Right, right. But you know what? You know what's his angle? Because if you really think about even that generation, you know, nineteen eighty. Uh, well, Richard Lewis is already gone. But you know, like Larry and Jerry yeah. and, and Bill Maher even as a as a monologist, there was some point of view.
1: Absolutely, a thousand percent. You know, even Henny Youngman. Well, you know, I remember. You know, uh, uh, Marr once said about Jerry that he's uh, he's thrown away an A act. Jerry used to do and he only did this bit a couple of times. He used to do a bit about uh, getting bar mitzvahed and and you're 13. And it's today I am a man. He said, you know, when I was 13, I had terrible skin. My voice was cracking. None of my clothes fit. I was awkward. I was gangly. If somebody if somebody's car broke down and they saw me standing on the side of the road at 13, they wouldn't say anything. We can get that man to help us. And it was such a... And it always got a laugh, but Jerry tossed it out because I think he didn't want to be associated with being... A Jew. Jew. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. to me, yeah. you know, standing on the side, like why, why, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that he marked... I mean, and as an observer, maybe you could you could uh, validate this that he marks the transition out of Jewishness in a way.
1: Absolutely, a thousand percent,
0: and, and thousand because percent. like the seventies, it was all neurotic Jews, right? Give or take a few, uh, you know, uh, Latinos, right. other ethnicities, you know. Uh, right. But but the, the like the New York sort of cultural tone defined comedy for the country in a way, right. and it was all Jewish, and right. and for years before that, and I think Jerry with the name. You know, that he just he just gutted the Jew
1: out of it. Right.
0: It's interesting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, when I was uh, starting, and, and, and every once in a while I would get a note back from agents or people in the business, you know, you lean on that word Jew a little <laughs> too much, and, you know, it's like, well, I think it's funny, and I wouldn't really listen to it. And then, like, five years after me, Jon Stewart comes along, and it's Jew, 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 Jew. Brought it back. He's a genius, you yeah. know? And But, again, again, the difference between me and... He had, I think, great commitment to the way he was delivering the stuff. Much he more did. commitment. He did. There, he did. Like
0: there, when, him as a stand-up. When you know, before he became, he had a couple of jokes that that were very smart. Like, and he was uh, politically bold always, but not over heavy-handed. Right. And and I and I you know I I like him as much as I you know I'm jealous of him. Right, well, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. So all right, so you get there in 1980, you become a house MC, one of three. Right, you, you know, you're you're part of a long legacy of of well, you know, Belzer Belzer sort of defined that job absolutely, and uh and he was out of, out of control in you know, a lot was, of ways.
1: He was out of control, and the thing is, is that um and 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 Bill maher did this, and I never did this. Bill maher would do a lot of time between acts. If there was somebody, he was, the, he
0: was the then he was the MC that comics waiting hated.
1: Right, and he <laughs> and, and he was if if um, if someone was in to see someone else, you know, Bill did a good nice bit of time so they could see, and you know that's smart to see and, him, and, and and yeah, and I. I never had that in me. This is why I ended up in Albany after I got out of Harvard, and not at the Times or the Washington Post, because I was the one guy at Harvard that didn't think to call the Times or the Washington Post and think, "Are there any Harvard guys there?" Yeah. I just said, "Well, I'll send out my clips." And the best you 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 had some.
0: You you were humble or insecure, one or the other.
1: Let's go with insecure.
0: All right, I because humble. because yeah. like uh, you know, I mean, Harvard now is a tremendous cachet. The brotherhood, yeah, of the, the Lampoon brotherhood. But the I Harvard was the one guy.
1: Well, because of a decision. I made at eighteen to write for the Crimson rather than the Lampoon. It took me much longer to break into television because right. I had no connections. In, but Harvard in...
0: was all about connections. It was about protecting connections. That's correct. That's and, correct. And, and you chose not to do that because you're like, no, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, just send my stuff out.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. This is a meritocracy. You know? <laughs> I'm going to let my wow. stuff stand on its own. And, and years later, when my first book came out the ring, I was talking to a woman that was an editor at Newsweek, who was a year ahead of me at Harvard, and I explained to her what I had done as a senior and just sending my clips out. And let's see what happens. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, isn't that cute? <laughs> You know, right. yeah. You didn't understand what Harvard was I for. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no. I had no idea. All
0: right. So okay. So you're your house MC and I remember seeing you there occasionally. I I never. You know, to be quite honest with you, I never passed at the original catch, and I I could not stand Louis Ferranda. Uh, and I and I to this day I have uh, I have I still have resentment, the unresolved so, resentment. So
1: you're in you're into the we're talking the 90s now. Well, no, I, I left with Adrian. And I left uh chris uh, uh new year's eve in 87 right so i get there no i get
0: there in 89 and i'm you know i'm, I'm already you know working you know i'm up in boston and you know i auditioned at all the clubs and and you know i just you know i got to sit you know hey sit, sit maybe i'll get you on i, I was that guy right. hang out at the bar you know, maybe i'll get you on and i just could not deal with it and uh but i got in at the improv right before it ended and and, and, and that's uh, where
1: we met we met at the improv
0: so you, you're knocking it out you know for 13 years as a comic was was there a moment where where you you know I mean you know I get it I get I I know that life and I know the you know like um because I I never I always lived that life I never thought to be a writer I never you know never even crossed my mind and uh, you know I spent a lot longer than that you know beating my head against the wall Was there a moment where you like I you know I I got a shift
1: Well I well it was if for the thirteen years the first six I I I loved it. And, the, and like the second seven, uh, unbeknownst to me, I was kind of trapped because it was what how was how I made a living. I didn't know how to do anything else right it's I a had no other horrible moment. no other skills but you can and, write and, sports and uh yeah what I mean well, you know, I had a couple of shots at that and but that's those are other stories and and the Letterman show came on in eighty two and I submitted as a writer for them. I tried to get on as a comic I came close, came close to the Tonight show. You know, I have the heartbreak stories like all of us do about The Tonight Show and Letterman Show. And I submitted The Letterman Show in 84, 85, 86, 87, package. 88. Pa- Monologue
0: jokes, sketch and, ideas. And the whole
1: thing. And, you know, in show business, when, when they want you, they'll get in touch who with you. Who told you how to do that?
0: I mean, how did you know? Was there a I comic? I
1: knew uh, uh, Bob Morton, who used to come in and see the comics, who was the producer. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Starr. Who was uh, my agent at William Morris, and and they would say they're looking for somebody, and and never even came close. So I took uh, 1989 and 1990 off, yeah, <laughs> from submitting. To be
0: sad, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> just that. Well, I guess you know, you know how you feel. Yeah. How Hard. well, I guess the business has made its decision about me. <laughs> you know that, yeah. and 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 I was on the road, and and I could I could sense the shift on the road. Yeah, that clubs were closing. Yeah, and um. Then in uh, 91, I got a couple of small jobs. I got a job on Dennis Leary's show on the on the Ha Network.
0: Yeah, before with, Comedy Central, right. right.
1: But uh, with uh, It was a show called After Drive with Billy Kimball. He yeah. and Billy Kimball hosted. Mm-hmm. Then I got another small job. And then uh, Adrian and I were having breakfast at the Friars, and Morton was there. And I, st- I walked up to him, and I said, are you looking for rice? He says, we're not looking for anybody. He says, you know, but he said... You know, just write some jokes. He says, Dave's always looking for jokes. So, I, you know, I, had, I didn't have any work that week, so I started writing jokes. And he only used to do three at NBC. And on the Thursday night on the show- the original show? On the, yeah. so nights, two. Night really? I didn't realize Because that. there was only, because there was one rule at late night. Do not be the tonight show. Right. So, uh, the monologue was opening remarks, and it was kind of tossed off. So, that th- Thursday night, he does one of my jokes- and then Friday night, he does one of my jokes. And then Morton calls me back. And if you were a comic back then, Morton never called anybody back. He called me back. He says, turns out we're looking for a monologue writer. And I got hired the next week. And that was in 91. I've been there ever since. You're still there. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess my question
0: specifically is, you know, as the MC at Catch at that time, I mean, I can imagine what, you know, Bill Maher was doing and, you know, and, um, and Jerry and, and I can imagine that. But you know, these mythical stories about Larry David as a comic, I I do I do you know, I, I've only got some you know, you, you hear half things, but you
1: saw it. I saw it and here's the deal. So I pass it, catch. In, in June of 81. So now, and I'm working late night. I'm going on at 2 in the morning. Then I become a late night MC. So now it comes around and it's December of 1981. It's the holidays. So all the comics, the New York comics that live out in L.A., they come back. So the shows, which are normally great, now you've got these guys that have come back for the holidays. So Larry is, is and, you know, Larry David's here. And he was on Fridays then. So I'm in the hanging out in the bar, me and Ron Zimmerman. Ron and, Zimmerman, how's he doing? He he's great. He's a producer and he shares best friend. What else could be okay, wrong? do you talk to him? Uh every once in a while. Yeah. We, okay. yeah and um, so we're uh, in in the, the uh the bar mm-hmm. and Larry is pacing back and forth, up and down the bar, and uh Zimmerman says, Hey, what's with the pacing and Larry David said do you know that Woody Allen used to throw up before he went on every time and I think I got to go in and see this yeah so <laughs> hadn't he done it in a while so what? he I you know he was always so now I go inside and yeah. Larry goes on yeah. and this is the holidays it's ten at night it's 1981 it's packed catch is the center of the comedy universe yeah and ladies and gentlemen from Friday's Larry David and they go crazy and he gets on stage and the first two lines kill the first line is uh, uh you know what they say about attractive people we're not well liked <laughs> and uh you know is it okay if i use the familiar two form with you people because instead is much too formal you know yeah so the two lines kill then he does a line that doesn't work that well yeah and he says uh, is it uh, is it hot in here <laughs> then he does two lines to kill and he has done the line that doesn't do that well it's very, very hot in here. <laughs> then he does one line that kills and one line that doesn't do well. You know, you pay these kind of prices and the air conditioner is faulty. <laughs> then he does two lines in a row that don't do well. It's really very, very hot in here. <laughs> and at that moment, some guy in the audience has the nerve to say, Hey, what's your problem? My problem, I'll tell you what my problem is, is you people in the air conditioning, and screaming and storms off. And that's the first time I ever saw him. <laughs> and that incident was repeated thousands of times. Of one way or another. Yeah, and and it would always be, and we we got to be friends, and it was one of those things where I would uh, be on the phone with him, and I would say, so uh, how's it going for you? Have you been getting in any confrontations with people? Absolutely not My uh, wait a minute, the dry cleaner today. And he would tell some crazy story and still, you know, with Larry, um, and you know, it's funny about uh, this book, which is uh, the shrink thyself, is about a guy that leaves therapy. You know, Larry David was one of those guys is one of those guys that thinks that therapy is nonsense. He thinks it's absolute nonsense. And he thinks, uh, you know, they're just so bored. All they ever want to hear is I want to have sex with my aunt. Mm-hmm. He says, if you don't have that, you might as well not go to therapy. Do you believe That's, that? No. Yeah. I don't believe that. I do believe that there are many, many therapists out there like there are many stockbrokers. And there are probably seven good stockbrokers. Right. And there are probably, you know, seven really good you know, because it's just out there. And as my father used to say about stockbrokers, you know, if they knew anything, they wouldn't be brokers. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and um but Larry and the thing about Larry, and I want to give him a lot of credit about this, he's the only guy that I can think of that has gotten more regular as he's gotten more famous. It never happens he's that way. He's a very way. pleasant guy uh, offstage. It, it never happens that way because you never hear them interviewing a neighbor and saying, you know, I uh, I grew up with him, and he was a real asshole, but then he became famous. Now he's a pussycat. You know, it never, it's always... Well, I, th- other-
0: I think you exercise a certain amount of your demons once you become relevant and validated.
1: Absolutely. But Larry has is much more accessible now in his fame as as he ever was. Now, that said... You know, anytime you're with him, you never know when a scene from Curb is going yeah. to break out. And the story that I tell is a few years ago, he's in town and we're having uh, dinner and uh, we get to, it's time for dessert. And I say, how about dessert? No, no dessert for me. Ted Danson and I have a bet. No dessert for a year. And I'm thinking,
0: it's going Larry on?
1: David. <laughs> it's Ted Danson. Yeah. They're both billionaires yeah but the bet's got to be like fifty thousand or 100 000. maybe the bet's like a million dollars yeah and i say how much is the bet for 200 dollars. i said have a piece of fucking cake <laughs> <laughs> but it's still you know he still is that guy
0: yeah well, and, that's, and well that's, that's life the, right it's the and, little things and right? that's
1: the way uh he has to be
0: right so you get the gig at letterman right and you're there almost 25 years right and you have not written your first book yet
1: no, I don't write my first book till, uh, till, uh, I write my first book, which is everybody's first novel, which is 110,000 words, 80,000, which are I, that doesn't get published. I write my second book, The Ringer, that gets published in 2002. Okay. My second book, Time Won't Let Me, about a band, 2005. My third book, Everything Hurts, 2009. And this book, Shrink Thyself.
0: And you have an audience
1: for your books uh, yeah i mean it's it's not as it's not as big as as, as i would like you feel uh, like you're getting better absolutely a thousand percent and i think this is my best this is in the first person and i think that this is the most accessible to use that word again of all my novels because uh you know the first one was about uh a guy that makes a living as a softball ringer in new york and um you know, that's kind of tough. That's a kind of a small audience, and there's uh, some uh, prescription drug abuse in there, and you would think that would have drawn some... The second book is about... But that's about... a comedic setup. Is right. it satire? The, right. Yeah. They're all they're all satirical in their yeah. own way. I mean, they're deathly serious to me. Yeah. When other people call them satires, I say, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. The second book is about... Was based on... Was inspired by a story that happened to my older brother about his band... In prep school they cut an album and then 15 years later the album was worth five thousand dollars for collectors so yeah. I recreated that story but you know that w- his story is a little too cute and neat in my story it's 30 years later the album's worth ten thousand dollars and the guys can't get out of their own way to reunite yeah but that was a very specific 60s garage you know garage rock yeah that was a very specific. The third book, Everything Hurts, was about a guy trying to get rid of a psychosomatic limp. You know, again, you know, these are sort of high-minded things, you know. and, and uh, But this one, you know, everybody has either been to therapy, knows somebody that's in therapy, has had a bad experience, has had a good experience. And this is about a guy that tries to leave therapy and tries to live the unexamined life. Uh-huh. And the second he makes that decision, things happen to him that would send any other, anybody else screaming back into therapy. Uh-huh so in so in that sense i think that i'm reaching people a little better and there's
0: a lot of you in there
1: less than the other books the other books i usually run about 60 true 40 percent. you know the best advice i ever got about fiction was uh make your character's lives complicated you know write what you know make your character's lives complicated so you take what's true and and you say, well, what can I do to make this complicated? Uh, this this book, I That's mean, there's you know, there's a lot of elements from my life, but I never, what happens in this book, I never had sessions with my shrink in a mental hospital while right. the shrink was in the mental hospital. Oh, okay, I never did that. Uh, um, you know, my um, I never uh, told uh, my shrink about a, a fantasy affair that I tried to carry out and then the shrink went and looked up the same woman and had an affair with her. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So that was yeah. So so these things you make it a little uh uh sounds a little dark. Yeah. It, oh it's absolutely dark. It's absolutely because it's it's not interesting the other way. It's not you know, there's there's a lot of people that you can read. And, you know, I, I always uh I try to be uh I try to be funny and and uh and uh, and I I try to be humble. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, who, who are your guys in
0: terms of writers?
1: Well, Philip Roth the best, and, and right? Richard Yates.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Richard Yates. I don't know his stuff. I oh know oh Philip. Oh, but... you got you to... Gotta, I mean, you. You need to. to read Richard Yates because Why? he is... What's the, the, what
0: are his books? Why well, book?
1: Revolutionary Road, which was made into a not a good movie. That's his most famous uh-huh. novel. Um, Easter Parade. Um, I'll check it out. A good school... But he is... Um, uh, and you know here, here's another connection the character of Elaine in Seinfeld was not based on Carol Liefer as she is don't tell her that no right don't tell her that it was based on Monica Yates Richard Yates's daughter who Larry went out with really so yeah interesting that's who it was based on wow and breaking and, news so, and Richard Yates is the king of 1950s and 60s broken suburbanite alcoholics you know, well, he picked his, that he
0: picked up the uh, the Cheever torch or what?
1: But 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 better than Cheever because well Ben and better than Updike I feel because as I say Richard Yates his books are meant to be read by the light of your oven yeah I mean they're so depressing and and. and uh, I don't know. I, when I read the depressing stuff, it it really it lifts. It's so much richer. Sure, than... it, gives, it gives it gives Jews a warm feeling. Absolutely. And he's <laughs> not. It. And he's guyish. Yeah. You know, Yates is guyish. and um, we're full guy. And yeah. uh, but Philip Roth is my hero. It's it's amazing that you find the time to do this. And this
0: was obviously at some point your dream unrealized, and then you realized it to be a novelist. It
1: uh, well put. I always thought. That i didn't have the gene in me right. to write a long form because i was writing jokes i was yeah. writing scripts i was a stand-up I, you know i was a sports writer to me it was all in installments and um, there's that
0: insecurity that unlike the unlike harvard insecurity that you right. carry well, with it, you
1: right the, it, and, and and what happened was i just didn't think I, I i had it i i wanted it badly but i never had it and then when i was uh I picked up a book when I was thirty-eight uh, that called "The Artist's Way," which is a tremendous yeah, book. Yeah, I remember Jul- that book. They had, had workshops. Cam- yeah, and that uh, You yeah, really that did it changed my real. I mean, I'm the millionth person whose life had changed because it. You know, you do these morning pages, which I still do, eighteen and a half years later, and it just kind of blows off. It's like blowing off the foam on the top of a beer. You just get all that crap out in the morning, and your mind is a little more open. Did it help to- your joke writing? Absolutely, a thousand percent. Really, a thousand percent. Well, you just sit down for a, a period of time. You do three pages. It takes twenty minutes. I've been doing it for years, and it's it's very journalistic. It's like you know, the dry cleaning didn't come back. Right. You know, it's like that. But you just get that stuff, and you get to see the other thing. It's very valuable because you get to see your hand move. Mm-hmm. You get to be a writer first thing when you wake up. You did it by so, hand. Yeah, you, absolutely. That's what you have to do. You absolutely. can't do it on the computer you know people do but i don't think it's the same thing huh. people do people do i, I did mean, that i
0: journaled during uh my divorce every and, day because I, I had i had no choice it seemed
1: right and how did and did that did that help you did that help you help get...
0: me but reading it now is very painful
1: well i read yeah i mean i read my stuff after the fact so i uh so i'll just so here's the deal so yeah. i start doing the morning pages in august of 1995 right and i'm doing them every day in October of 1995, I stopped gambling. I was a degenerate gambler. Really? In November of 1995, I stopped drinking. And in December of 1995, I start working on my first novel. And I... And that's that was. I mean, it directly
0: correlation. Absolutely,
1: a thousand percent. A
0: degenerate gambler.
1: Degenerate gambler. I say that, and, and you can. And I'm sorry, we're on the radio, but you can see me kind of smile when I say that because it's. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, absolutely. That was your thing. It was my thing. Well, everything was my thing, but that was my. Um, that was my daily thing. Did you ever? T- how?
0: What was the edge you reached? How much did you lose?
1: Oh, I came. Ve- well, I remember. I remember. Uh, well, you know, you used to have to settle up every week uh-huh. uh and and with I rem- your bookie with my bookie and i remember i owed my bookie um <laughs> i owed my bookie 39.95 i owed a you know th- uh, three thousand nine hundred nine, and, and, and i said to him i said hey you just make sure you bring the five right
0: <laughs> 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 but you never got to a point where you had to, to borrow money or
1: uh came i mean i came as close as you can come I came, well i mean i was under yeah so and i was one of those guys i mean i was when i was fifty thousand dollars in debt before i got the letterman job this was my fantasy 50, i was we were fifty thousand dollars in debt not just a game but other stuff yeah. you know being comics yeah. you know sure right and my, this was my plan my plan fifty thousand dollars in debt was to get hit by a cab and, and sue, it. sue the cab company for 60,000 <laughs> <laughs> that was your plan. not not for a million you're supposed to sue for a million sure. and settle for right. 60 no it was 60 and i figure you know give the lawyer a taste and yeah. then i would be yeah, i yeah. would be straight well you're you're, you're a reasonable man yeah, you're a moral guy that's right that's that were
0: right. you were you standing out in the street trying to figure out how to do it or didn't get it wasn't
1: that? until years it was it wasn't until about a year after i stopped gambling that I actually got hit by a cab. Uh, and and it, was, it was entirely my okay. fault. and it was one of those things where I stepped off the curb and I felt it and as I'm in the air, I'm thinking, this is what it must be like to get hit by a cab. And then I landed on the the um, hood. The hood. And I was okay, and the guy was shaken up. Uh, the The cab driver was beside, and I said, uh, "I'm okay," and it was my fault. And of course, he'd never had anybody say that to him.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was okay.
0: Amazingly. This uh, this, this this insecurity streak makes you a moral man.
1: Well, uh, well, good. I'm, you know, well, who am I to disagree with you?
0: Yeah. But uh, all right, so well, uh, congratulations on the new book. But I, I do want to get into your relationship with Letterman, and because he's so you know he's a, a hero of mine. Okay, and uh, you know you were I, were you there when I did
1: the panel last time? Absolutely, it was the
0: first time I ever did panel.
1: I know, it was and great. I was there. Well, it, you know, it must have been uh, very significant for you because you don't remember me coming up and 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 saying good job. No, I do, After- I do, I do, I do. <laughs> but of course, yeah,
0: yeah, and it was like because uh, I'd done the show a few times, I never really thought he, he registered me. And uh, But to sit there with him was a big deal, you know, to look at him and, well, and have that opportunity. Let me,
1: and, and, and I get it, and, and I get it, and he doesn't. You can tell him, as I, have tell, as I have told him many, many times, you have no idea what it means to comics to come and sit with you. You have no idea what it means to them. He said, oh, that's nonsense. It, you know. And I said, what do I, what do I have to do? to convince you it
0: was mind-blowing to me it was like it was like uh it was a high point you know doing the well, show already
1: you know I, I was in uh i don't want to brag about my acting career but i was in beer league i played the umpire <laughs> Yeah. and artie lang came on the show after yeah beer league and he was great and he told the stories and uh he said to me biggest thrill of my career yeah yeah to just sit there across from him because you're fighting with this thing of, of like that's dave letterman's right there right he's right there you right. know and 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 as, and having been a guest on the show to promote my books and working with him every day, and then all of a sudden sitting in the chair, I get it because it's different for me because the thing, and I don't know if you know, if I don't know if this, this hit you, but the thing when I'm sitting in the chair and I'm a guest on the show and I look at him, I, he is so comfortable and I am so not comfortable. (laughs) And I thought, how am I, am not even going to compete as, as in a, in conversation with this. Because this is completely his, turf. and it's
0: so heightened too. Because like you know, you are just talking, but but there, it's almost an out of body experience in the moment, right? Because you want to just talk, but then you realize like it's like this is his world. You're you know, this is Dave's universe here, and you know you're on television. It's just so like his comfort in in the face of all that is is astounding, right? And and it's become
1: much more so in the last ten years because I think
0: since the heart surgery,
1: a thousand percent. Because now. Uh he doesn't uh he doesn't care if the if the show runs over and has to be edited down. I mean he cares, but he cares more about finishing the conversation that he started. He cares more about uh the connection. Oh good. And, and that's and, new. Uh, well Last absolutely decade. I mean it was always it was I think it was always there, but I think that um I think he got warmer. A thousand yeah, I agree. Uh, absolutely. And I think that he, uh, yeah, I just think that he realized the job wasn't wasn't going away, and this is what he loved to do. And, um, you know, if you just have a regular conversation with him, he asks the questions just in a regular conversation that nobody else asks. And there's a lot of times just during the day where, uh, you know, we'll be talking about something that I, I feel pretty knowledgeable about. And he'll ask me a question and I'll go, excuse me for a second. And then I got to go to the computer to get an answer for him <laughs> at one second, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, he, he, like I I find it to be mysterious in that, you know, you hear things here and there that, you know, he's he's insulated. He doesn't like to talk to people. He you know, he you know, he's uh, he's um, not accessible. uh, he, you, you know, he's a, he's a little kooky. And uh, but you do you consider you consider him a friend? You guys Absolutely. socialize?
1: No, we don't. We, we very. I mean, maybe a, a a couple times a year. You know, I'll go with him somewhere where he wants to go. But we don't. We don't. We used to play squash for a while. we I mean, but we don't. Um, I think that we get. Uh, it's so intense. You know, I work for him, and we have the friendship at the show. No, I get that. that I mean, so I've been it's, on, yeah. it's, it's I, one I, of those things. But I'll tell you, and, and this is—you uh, got to
0: be the guy that's been there the longest, or one n- other guy. N-
1: no, two well, other I'm guys. the. I'm the. Well, Steve Young has been there, started a year before I did, so he's the writer that's been there the longest. And we have a lot of people. I mean, Barbara Gaines and Jude Brennan have been there since the morning show. Do you know that we did a thing when when he was 30 years in late night, which was 2012. We did a top 10, and it was the top 10 longest serving staffers. I didn't come close to making that list. And I was the one t-
0: guy that had been there forever, the comedy writer? Well, Jerry
1: Mulligan. No, he retired in 2004. Oh, right. But he had been there a long time, and he had also been on the morning show. But I was thinking, um, uh, pursuant uh, to this, to my book, about, well, how am I going to tie in uh, Dave with my book? So I was seeing a shrink uh, years ago. hmm and and it was one of those things, you know. When you see a shrink, you're a you're not supposed to know anything about them, and they're not supposed to talk about themselves. So at the time, it was about 1995 or 1996, and CBS had been sold to Westinghouse, and the guy that was in charge of Westinghouse was a guy named Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, and Dave uh, was upset that the guy had not called him. So for a week or maybe two, every night behind the desk he would say uh, listen i've decided that i'm going to fight this guy <laughs> and he would say so one time i come into my to my shrink appointment and and sometimes we would talk about the show but most times we had to talk about the stuff that you got to talk about in therapy that's way much earlier than Letterman. yeah and i sit down and my shrink says listen bill before we begin um i just uh now you know i i don't watch the show but the other night um i was up late and and i happen to have the sh- well was dave challenging his boss to a fight and then and then that's that situation if you've ever been in it where all of a sudden you're the therapist right. and then all of a sudden you have to say to your therapist okay go with that well what yeah. do you mean fight and, <laughs> yeah. well let's talk about it yeah. and that was you know and and that's the that's the effect that um that's the effect that this guy has on everybody and at first after when he announced his retirement and you know every day people were coming up to me and saying what are you going to do and and like and and their worry was did not seem very real and i was like look we got 200 shows left i'll worry about that after the 200 shows i'm not even thinking about that but then it took another person to point out to me look this isn't just happening to dave And this isn't just happening to all of us that work there. This is happening to everybody that's watched him for 33 years. So when people say to me, what are you going to do? They're just saying, what am I going to do? And so now I'll have any conversation with
0: people Uh about that. Yeah. Do you think he, uh, do you think they're like, in my mind, I'm like, like he, in my mind, it's like he, he waited till Jay left
1: first. I I think that absolutely had a, I I mean, it was, you know, it's the TKO. It's the guy that can't answer the bell. But I'll tell you what I said to him uh, 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 one day. uh, This is a few months ago. This is before the announcement. And this is after. So let's say, let's say it's April. Mm -hmm. So Jay had left in February. And um, it's during a break. And I look at him and I said, is it me or does the air just smell sweeter with Jay not on it? (laughs) And you just just the little <laughs> corner of his mouth came up, yeah,
0: just I tell you, man, you know he's done some amazing stuff, you know, and i, I watched him at the beginning when I was in college, and I, I the way he handled that blackmail attempt was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life
1: i well, I mean,
0: just to come clean and just fucking just gut that guy, I thought it was great,
1: well, you know, I think that um it was it it was uh i I remember it was sort of uh uh it was just an odd day and you know you wondered how he would handle it and he handled it you know he got out in front of it and then of course in this we did two shows that day so we did it in the first show (laughs) in the second show larry david is the lead guest Uh and he had been there early and heard the first what have i walked into you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. why this day
0: yeah that's hilarious and it, it, like you know, but so you he he's always treated you well and he treats the staff well and he's a good absolutely
1: man. and but 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 think about well i mean you know a lot of people that are famous that have had jobs a long time it, it's um you think about that job it's insane it's it's an insane job and think about let's just i'll just choose this name think about having to interview jasmine guy
0: Mm -hmm.
1: twice a year for 30 years and i'm thinking i I use jasmine guy because she probably used the publicity just as an example of somebody that the people that you have to talk to and he makes it seem like he is interested and if he he makes it seem and if he's not interested he turns it so that it's compelling to watch
0: right yeah and gets the person so it's sometimes it's great when he's like a little irritated. Oh, more, he used to, well, used to be more so, but uh, yeah. well,
1: I, I've often said about him mm-hmm. that he's the only he's the only guy, and I challenge anybody, uh, challenge you know another name. Uh, he's the only guy in the history of television whose mood has been chronicled on television. Yeah. Now Roseanne, nobody crazier than Roseanne. You know, she's been a guest of the state a few times but you never watch an old episode of Roseanne and think, oh, yeah, yeah, this is when she was having a fight with the network. Yeah. No, because she's doing her show and she's locked in. That's the thing about Dave is that as a, um, you know, maybe as a as a guy, not accessible, but as like as a human being. Public, you know, yeah, right, the public persona. Very accessible. No, yeah. It's like, oh, he's, he's, he lives uh, there. He's upset. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. lives there. And that's what it's... Um, it's it's amazing to watch, and and the longer, the longer I'm there, the more I understand how difficult the job is. No, His job is brutal and because you know we're you know I mean I consider myself a comic. you know you're a comic and you think. I could go go out and tell a Monica. I got some stuff, yeah. and then I could talk to people. Mm, sure, it, yeah, you could do it for a night or two nights, yeah, or or a but week. But what night. about thirty three? I mean, what about that? Yeah, and and um, and just very, and and he's always been, uh, you know, the first one in, the last one out. He uh, people ask me. Uh, a guy asked me about uh, you know, does he still like to do it? Well, all I can tell you is. I get down to the dressing room at uh, at two forty five, and then he comes up and we go through the monologue. And there's uh, there's two two flights of stairs.
0: You're the head monologue guy.
1: Yeah, right, right. Me and Steve Young, head, and uh, so I'm waiting for him. And he he's sixty seven, and he runs up those two flights of stairs every day.
0: He used to run them all, didn't he? Because I remember the first time I did it, I actually saw him in, in like mid run. It was weird. No, he, he,
1: he runs, yeah, he runs the whole hallway and then he runs the two flights of stairs at the end. So forget that he's 67 and can do that, forget that. But that's, he's running up those stairs because he wants to start his day. And when I see him stop running up those stairs, then I'll say, all right, well maybe you don't want to do this, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, let's go over this one other thing. Which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the night that they pulled Hicks's set. You yes. did it, right? You did the set, right?
1: I am that footnote, and uh, absolutely, and uh, but just to
0: set it up for people that don't know, Bill Hicks had done a set, and it was fairly <laughs> controversial, and uh, you know he was censored, and there's been a lot of, you know, I think the story, the true story, is probably out there, but but uh, they pulled the set. He reacted to it in, in uh, Lars' column in uh, New York Magazine. And but you were it, the guy that, that they played your set.
1: Right. So, here's, so it, let me, let's, let's just back up. So Adrian, yeah. my wife, Adrian Tulsch, is working in, in, uh, in, in Houston, where she used to work all the time. And she sees Hicks, and she says to him, listen, if you come to New York... I will get you seen by the Letterman people and you'll get on. And she had said, only said that to one other person who was Emo Phillips. And it happened for Emo. So Hick says, okay. So she uh, calls Morton and Morton again returns her call, which never happened, and says, you remember with, with Emo, I got another guy. And so Morton comes in. Now Jay, of course, has spent the last 20 years telling everybody was his idea, you know, like everything in show business is yeah. Jay's idea. But my wife got hicks the letterman show and he did it i think eight or nine times at nbc and he was one of the there were about five comics that worked the show a lot him and jake Mm -hmm. and um for the now i can't remember the the other guys but uh uh, wayne cotter used to do the show and um at margaret smith yeah peg smith and um so uh now we go to cbs and it's our 25th show it's our fifth week stephen wright was the first comic to be, on, to be on the new show. Oh, okay. To be on the new show. And Hicks is booked. And Hicks and I are old friends. I, You know, I opened for him. I did, um, when he taped his first album, I opened for him. And, um, you know, I knew him for a while. I was very fond of him. Yeah. And I was doing the audience for him. He's a good up.
0: guy. He was in New York for a couple of years. Remember he was, that? Week? They, he, yeah. He's like, I got to get out of here. They, no, that was,
1: yeah. And we were down at Caroline's. And he yeah. would, yeah, he was great. And, and he would work the improv. And again, the commitment to the material. So- um before the show went on the air they did two shakedown shows where they test the equipment and audience and all thing and i was on the second shakedown show doing stand-up and i was still test a show yeah i was still a stand-up then yeah it was probably one of the last sets i ever uh, uh did and uh you know went great and uh, and that was it so now here's hicks and uh i go backstage before the show and he's got, and I'll never forget this, he's wearing a yellow button-down shirt and a yellow tweed like a herringbone jacket completely. Yeah. And I said, "What? what is this? He said, this is the new friendlier Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, okay, right. So now he comes out and um, the set is- 89? No, this is 93. This is October 1st, 1990. So he's sick already. Right. And nobody knows. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nobody knows. He dies in December. So he comes on and he gets um, some laughs, some big laughs up front. And, but the set is, it's not like a Hicks set. Um, It's just odd. And some of the choices are, are, are odd. And it's not, it's not the balls. But it was
0: produced, right? I mean, you knew it. It was,
1: well, well, it was yeah the 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 stuff that was selected probably should not have been selected that's the problem is that the 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 set was not built to his advantage who was the
0: segment producer
1: i don't know uh-huh. i don't remember who it was back then and uh it, but you know he does he does well but there are a couple of odd moments and knowing him as i do um not of him, but I don't think anything of it. And then he goes, and Dave was laughing at a couple of stuff, a couple of things up front, and and he sits down with Dave, does a little panel with Dave, and then Dave says, "Hey, uh, good luck with your mail." That's the last thing Dave says to him
0: because of the because of the abortion, abortion joke, right. and
1: because of the the uh, the gay. Uh, it was uh, I think there uh, were a couple of the abort. There's a couple of things, so uh, that's it. And, and I go over to him backstage, and he, he said, well, How do you think that went? And I say, It went great. Dave was laughing, and he was at Caroline's that weekend. And I said, I'm gonna come see you at Caroline's, because we were friends, and I love Colleen and yeah. the whole deal. And then he was going down to West Palm. Yeah. So now I come upstairs, and Jeff Stilson was a writer on the show, and you know Jeff. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, very strong comic. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is waiting for me, and he says, What was that? And they're old friends, him and Hicks he says what was that i said oh geez so it's not just me because i thought it was odd and there was uh the the first the very first line of it was very hacky for mm-hmm. him that let's hunt and kill billy ray cyrus right very hacky not not of not like him yeah to do something like that and um so i figured oh great i'm not the only one that thought it was a little beneath mm-hmm. him and then uh I'm up in my office, and I do whatever I do, and then I come down, uh, and and I and it's Dave and Bob Morton and some CBS people, and I say goodbye, because it's Friday night, and Dave says, hey, uh, uh, watch uh, the show tonight, and you'll be in for a surprise, and I say, oh, shit, was I caught on camera, which used to happen as a warm-up guy, and you, did, you didn't want to be caught on camera. Yeah. And he says, uh, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know was that they were discussing that they were going to cut my shakedown show performance in. And uh, they did not make that decision till really late. As a matter of fact, what people don't know is that the open announce, the show was rolled in live at 1130. And Dave did Bill Wendell's open announce. Dave was staying there at 1130. So they cut in my... um, and 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 that's what happened and they they went to Hicks i mean you know every, you know people were wrong uh i don't think that he was told the truth hicks but i think they also were very anxious to get him back on the show soon
0: what was the reason
1: the, i think the reason was i think the reason was that we were only on the air for 5 weeks and we just did not uh, the show just did not want all this controversy so from the christians Uh, well i think it was i think there were a couple yeah or whatever whatever it was they just thought we just didn't they just didn't want to take that on
0: the christian right might have yeah i
1: mean mean, yeah yeah. and um they just did not did not want that but they told him they said listen this is our fault because the set should have been better produced and there's other stuff and this and that and And, uh, and we're, we're going to have you on real soon, but nobody knew he was sick. Nobody knew he was dying. And, uh, so of course that's what happened. And, and, and I think that Bill, I think Bill kind of ran with it. I don't think that, you know, um, uh, you know, I don't think that he was, uh, you know, I think that he was really hurt and,
0: um, probably because he knew it might've been one of his last sets on that show.
1: A thousand. uh, Absolutely. And so that, uh, that happened, and then, you know, it was, um, you know, it became a mystery over all of these. And, and back then, we used to get, we had these huge monster ratings, and of course, um, uh, you know, nobody ever knew that it was me that went on. And then, I don't know how many years later, Dave had his mother on.
0: I know, I was going to ask you about that. That, that was, was really
1: something. That what, was Dave's decision.
0: Was it eating at him? Yes. It must have been
1: it was and 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 that's like how many years later is more than a decade oh absolutely it was and and bill hicks's mom said to him uh i knew once you had a son that you would come (laughs) she said this to him did she say that on the air yes i can't remember and uh and he you know and he righted the run. now i didn't i don't know anything that's going on i never do i just work on my little he didn't run the set though
0: it would have been interesting. No one's seen. They did. It. They did run it. They
1: ran it that night. Oh, good. Okay. And Dave says I'm embarrassed because this stuff is as funny now as it was then, and for me to think that was controversial, and I'm embarrassed. No, they ran it. They ran the whole set. Now, it, now, just because you know I'm here, I'll just tell you about me. I had no idea that Hicks's mother was going to be on until the day before, and I didn't think anything of it. And then, of course. I relived all this, and I felt awful that I was cut in because I was friends with him. But Colleen said he was thrilled it was you. I felt very guilty but even though it was not my decision. And I went up to Hicks's mother, like I came up to you after she finished, and I said, uh, hi, um, my name is Bill Sheff. She said, I know who you are. And she said, Bill was very fond of you. And, of course, it was everything I could do not to break down and cry because you know but I was I, I I like to think that maybe it was some closure for everybody on that but that's what happened mm. that's what happened and, and, and I I'm sorry that it got that it went sideways and and he became this sort of censicu, uh this censored persecuted uh a, a martyr and it was it was it, to me as a comic it was a set that was just not well produced mm-hmm. and it was not well thought out and it was not he didn't close with his strongest right bit it was a
0: it was a it was a, com, a, a, a uh you know it was a bunch of events it was a, it was a new show they didn't want controversy right. and it wasn't his strongest set right and the, the fact that he passed away so shortly after you know sort of you know amplified.
1: well as it, they did a, a, a um I find two things interesting. They did this a documentary many, many years ago, and Dave was on, and he said, well, Bill's, he was a favorite of ours, Yeah. and his last appearance on our show uh, was made uh, more odd by the circumstances of his, the fact that yeah. he never yeah. got back on. And the thing that I found amazing is there have been many books written about Hicks, many books, and many books written about this night, and of all those books... Uh, I was only interviewed once, and uh, because I didn't give play to the narrative, yeah. it was really never run in that book.
0: Mm-hmm. What, in Kevin's or, or uh, Cynthia's?
1: I think Cynthia, yeah.
0: She didn't interview. She No, she interviewed me. Right.
1: She interviewed me.
0: But Kevin didn't. Yeah,
1: yeah. and, and um, because I, you know, I wasn't, yeah, man, he <laughs> was, you know... <laughs> It was, you know, the people, and he was, yeah. you know, yeah. The, you know, the set shouldn't have been. The Im- man shut him down. Yeah, and so that was, uh, but that was it. But uh, I'm glad I got the chance to 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 tell that uh, um, story. You know, there's a guy. He's a newspaper writer and, and he's a musician in North Carolina named John Dawson, and he says, "You know what I like about Bill Hicks is there. There's this guy, and he's." he's saying these brilliant things and these deep things and these hilarious things and he sounds like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was the thing about Hicks that
0: hey, he was great. He yeah. he was a good guy.
1: He was a great
0: guy. Yeah. Well, thanks Bill yeah. and good luck with the book. It was a great talk.
1: Well, thank I mean I I loved it and and uh you know, God bless you for for having me out here and uh it's always uh I I love uh talking about stand up because you know, stand ups if you get uh two guys at an airport that have never met two comics and yeah. there's a three hour layover and they find out they're both comics that three hours just flies oh, by yeah. right yeah, never this a guy's a scumbag yeah, and yeah, this guy yeah, yeah. screwed me yeah. did you see that one guy what he did yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it was great talking to you
1: thanks so much
0: That's cool that was a good conversation I like talking to that guy um, what else go to WTFPod.com get the app if you want upload The app for free, then upgrade to premium. Get all the fucking episodes. Get all those fucking episodes. Leave a comment, buy some merch. Christmas is coming up. I got no plan for this. Rest in peace, Hubert someone. I know it's been a while, but yeah. Boomer lives!